right, it is that time. Let's get settled in. We are headed back to Acts chapter 19. We're in the second missionary journey in a very intriguing, very entertaining almost uh, incident today to uh, look at. And no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, it really speaks volumes, really helpful insights to what the Christian life is all about. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father God, with this uh, bizarrely beautiful incident that we're going to take a look at. Just kind of puts your finger right on the issue. It's important as a personal relationship. Not that we have all the right words or we look the part, but that in our hearts, your spirit is alive and working. We've experienced uh, the resurrection of sorts, been raised in new life, a new life that has power moral transformation, and peace. So we pray, God, that you would again show us what's really important, what matters most. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in the news, just a few days ago, maybe you saw it, an interesting article about a doctor in Los Angeles. He had been practicing there in Orange uh, County, private practice. He had an office a staff and a medical assistant or two. Uh, he treated many patients. His degrees posted on the wall. There's a picture uh, from his website there in the article, white jacket, stethoscope. And on his license plate, another picture in the article, his last name with MD afterwards. There was only one problem. He wasn't a doctor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, apparently this kind of thing goes on and not only in the field of medicine. In this case, he wanted all the prestige, the paycheck, uh, without the hard work training, without the license. And now he's been exposed and uh, facing several felonies, impersonating a physician and practicing medicine uh, without a license, to name a couple of them. And so because of his actions, uh, he's in a world of hurt. He has to learn a humiliating lesson, just like the seven wannabes in this morning's passage here in Acts 19. These seven brothers, seven fakers, uh, they happen to be siblings. Uh, they're, they're not impersonating a physician, but they're impersonating an apostle, Paul to be exact, pretending to be Christians and ministering in the name of Jesus, a Jesus that they didn't know. Now, apparently these guys had witnessed a miracle by the apostle Paul and saw the amazing power felt that maybe they were there at the scene and some people were set free and they wanted that power to do what Paul did to have a power they could exercise at their own discretion and for their own honor and for their own gain and for their own glory. And so they opened up their practice, as it were, the placard and the certifications on the wall, and they began to minister in Jesus' name. Only one problem, they didn't know Jesus. And so um, they're going to get a, uh, an embarrassing and painful uh, lesson as a result. 
verse 11. Now here's the context. The Apostle Paul, I mean, even his clothes <laughs> were emanating this power of healing and uh, for a season in an extraordinary way, God was working uh, that even his clothes, if somebody touched his clothes, evil spirits would depart. And so it's important for the context of what's coming, you'll see. So God did these extraordinary miracles for a season temporarily through Paul so that even the sweatbands is in the Greek where when he went to work, did his leather working, he wore sweat bands and full-length aprons to protect him uh, while he was doing that messy job, that those clothes that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now Dr. Luke says, now speaking of evil spirits leaving people, some Jews also wanted in on the action. <laughs> They went around driving out evil spirits, trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest there in Ephesus, were doing this. But one day, the evil spirit answered them, uh, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked <laughs> as a jailbird and, and bleeding. Whoa. <laughs> you know, they had robes and I guess, you know, one thing led to another. <laughs> 17, poor guys. Uh, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Yeah. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls, their magic paraphernalia, all of that stuff, and burned them publicly. Big bonfire. When they calculated the worth of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I'll tell you later about that. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely. I almost said wildly, but it did do both and grew in power. So we're going to take a look at this um, intriguing um, incident here. We'll head back and meet the bungling brothers first uh, and then uh, with their humiliating beatdown and then the beautiful way that God used it to bring spiritual revival in Ephesus. So first, the epic fail the verses um, before you, verses 13 and, uh, through 16, and then we'll close out with the epic revival, uh, verses 17 through 20, here now in Acts 19. And so the, uh, the epic fail, <laughs> this nightmarish ordeal that exposed them for the phonies they were. And uh, the, the life lesson, what is it? I'm going to just put it out there right in front right in center here so it doesn't get lost in the details. So important. Here it is. Unless you know the Lord in a personal way, like being born of his spirit in your heart. So that's what happens when you trust in the Lord. Unless you know the Lord in a personal way, none of his benefits, 
None of his saving power. None of the promises in the Bible belong to you at all. They're null and void. You have to know the Lord in a personal way. And sad to say, inside the church, outside the church, Christian or not, there are sons of Siva in one sense or another running around. In fact, you may know one of Siva's boys. I mean, you can tell. I mean, eventually you will tell. Uh, You'll be able to tell because the sons of God, the sons of God, we overcome. We just make it all the way. We overcome. First John chapter 5 and verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Overcomes their sin. Overcomes the devil. Only the one who believes that Jesus is Lord, who is born of the Spirit of God. They overcome the world. And so the sons of God, we overcome. The sons of Siva, they don't make it to the finish line. Whether you're saved or not, you might have a son of Siva syndrome and uh, have a blowout, right? But the principle that caused the blowout remains the same. And so we're going to be all ears uh, because this is not just a story from the past that we sort of are entertained by. It is sort of entertaining, but it's got some deep and important uh, timeless truths. So who are these guys? They're Jews, ethnically. They live in Ephesus probably for generations. They speak what the Ephesians were speaking. Uh, they, they are really, they would be called Turks if it was in the middle of Turkey, right? And uh, so, uh, but if they spit into a vial and sent it off to 23andMe, it would come back as with a pie chart that says Jewish, all right? And so, uh, but <laughs> that's all they have in common with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is shared DNA with the people. Uh, far, far removed from Israel, uh, as I said, probably born and raised in very pagan Ephesus where they have mixed in the pagan practices with their uh, hybrid Judaism, if we can call it that. And so just because somebody tells you I'm Jewish, that means practically nothing. It, It really just means ethnically they share some DNA with the people, uh, but it doesn't mean they go to synagogue, that keep a kosher table, or that they practice uh, uh, Judaism in any form. And so that's what you have here. It was very popular in pagan cities in ancient times, especially with Jews, to come up with this Jewish mysticism. And uh, even today, uh, it's called Kabbalah, one variant. And Kabbalah is very popular, especially with celebrities. And so what it does is it it mixes some uh, Hebrew Old Testament scriptures and traditions and some things from the Mishnah and the Torah, and and then they spin it with New Age and uh, count backwards and divide by three the Hebrew things, and then there you have it, a way to live. And uh, so that's what they were doing. So that's uh, who they are. Now exactly what were they doing? Verse 13 says that they, these Jews went around driving 
out spirits. Now, the King James has, they were vagabonds. Uh, ESV has itinerant, that's the word. They were itinerant uh, kind of exorcists, like traveling, traveling salesmen. That's what they were, uh, the snake oil guys, you know, uh, uh, with their holy oil and their incantations. And uh, they, they had a cure for what ails you, especially if you think it had some kind of spiritual evil origin. Uh, so their specialty was exorcisms. And I don't buy for a second, and neither do the commentators, that they really were uh, casting out demons. There's a lot that looks like that. There's a lot of quackery out there. But at the end of the day, these guys didn't know the Lord and were all mixed up and they were not doing anything good for the kingdom of God. So, but that's how they, what they called themselves, right? And what they would do, they traveled around and uh, offered their services uh, for great sums of money. And so they were the first century version of Ghostbusters. You know, who you're going to call, you know. First of all, first service for all of their little quirks, they enjoyed that much more than you did. <laughs> Just saying, check. All right, <laughs> verse 14. Um, it seems it was a family affair, this ghost-busting family, this exercising of demons. Uh, dad, it always starts, doesn't it, good or bad with dad? Um, a Jewish chief priest, he called himself. You know, he called himself that because commentators will let you know there's no such thing as Jewish chief priests in Ephesus. You know, be in Jerusalem, the temple, and so most likely, Father Siva um, is a wannabe. He gave himself this title, and the Bible just gives you the title he was going by. Well, Luke did that with King Herod. Herod is no king. He's technically called a tetrarch, but he's not a king. But he called himself a king, and the people called him king, and for all intents and purposes, he functioned as a king. So the Bible called him King Herod. Right? This is what's going on here. Mr. Siva had a lust for public recognition uh, and honor. He wanted to be known as somebody with that uh, Jewish pedigree, that mysticism with special abilities and special knowledge, not to mention a way to make a big box. So he put a placard in his window and uh, some initials after his name. And I made sure that pedigree was hanging there for everybody to be able to see. Signed by, I don't know, Ezra himself, you know. And so all of that was going on. And so, uh, you know, really, if you wanted to be a cult leader, uh, the Jews in Ephesus had the edge. Because why? It was known throughout the world, always, about the God of these people doing wonderful, powerful miracles, like parting the Red Sea and uh, defeating, conquering uh, armies. You remember when Rahab in a walled city of Canaan, right? When Joshua sneaks in and confronts her and talks with her, she says, promise me you're not gonna destroy us. 
Because we know who you are. We know all about your God and what your God has done for you. Drying up the Red Sea and conquering this king and that king. We all hurt and we're all shaking in our boots. They're behind the wall of Jericho. They all knew. So, so again, in Ephesus, they've heard because God wants them, the whole world, to hear. And so they suspect that this guy is connected possibly to those stories. And so he just, he and his sons exploit that for their own personal gain. And so they, they put on the, the, the scary music in the background with the lighting and the fog machines and they do their hocus pocus uh, for their own uh, glory. So I, I have written down here Siva and Sons as a business and because I think that it is a family affair, uh, you know, on the side of their wagon, you know, they had a logo and I was thinking of the logo, the old ad campaign, Gut Milk. Well, theirs says along the wagon, Gut Demons. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll make you laugh one way or the other. <laughs> I'm going to sneak up on you, so keep holding out. I'm going to find you. All right. When, when a loved one is uh, suffering, how heinous is this? Because what a diabolical genius to come up with a money-making scheme like being an itinerant exorcist. When people are suffering with a loved one's uh, health or mental health or uh, somebody is hurting or dying and somebody comes around and, and a self-proclaimed miracle worker, right? The gleam in his eye and slick words. We can fix this. Listen to me. We can fix this. Look at me. We can fix this. Not going to be cheap. And they're like, you name your price, right? And so he goes, so he does. He names his price pulls out the amulets and the incense and they go to work. Now, one day, verse 15, things are going to be changing here. Some poor soul in Ephesus is in some dark room manifesting, <laughs> breaking furniture, gashing himself, howling at the moon, and the brothers, seven, are called in to help. Now, usually they prepare for such meetings, confrontations. There are scrolls and there are anointing oils and mixing their elixirs and all of that. But today is different. They're going to try out a new method, a new and improved formula, an incantation that they overheard this apostle Paul use, and it seemed to be very effective. Maybe they were in the marketplace, which we have records of, and these kinds of things happened. And maybe somebody manifested. Paul's trying to preach the gospel, and the evil spirit's trying to detract and to counter and to harass. And so prompted by the Holy Spirit, perhaps this time as we've seen, Paul turns around and commands the spirit, let that man go, come out of him in the name of Jesus. They had never heard such words, breathed by the Spirit, anointed from heaven, filled with compassion and power and boldness. It was something foreign to their ears, and with a dramatic shriek, out goes the Spirit, and there's immediate visible evidence that that heart was made free, because now, in the case of, in the, in the place of chaos, is peace 
in the, in the place of uh, despair, there's joy. And in craziness is replaced with soundness of thinking. And so I can hear the conversation. I imagine one brother says, wow, impressive. That worked better than all our chanting tarot cards and magic elixirs put together. And another brother says, and it's easier and faster. And another brother says, and it's cheaper. <laughs> Let's give it a try. So today's the day. So they get ready. You need the scrolls. You need this. You need that. Nah, we got the name. We got that name from Paul. We're we're gonna make this happen. Can't wait to see it all happen. You know, all for their own glory, so they can get further recommendations and other jobs. They can go out and bid. So, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, I command you come out now. The demon gets the award for best response when being cast out of its host. If, if I could say such things. He says this. He uses a different word for Jesus and a different word for Paul. He says, I know personally by experience know Jesus. And I'm very well acquainted, different verb. I know I've studied him. I've observed him. I understand that he's the real deal and he's connected to the Jesus who has the power and is Lord. So I have to do what he says. But you, where'd you come from? Who are you? Is this a joke? In the name of Jesus that that guy over there preaches? You think that's going to work? You are sorely mistaken. Someone's got to teach you boys a lesson. And I am glad to volunteer to be the one to do that. And so uh, to take some common words from today, the seven got jumped. That's exactly what happened here. They got jumped by a man. And it doesn't matter how big that man is because he's demonized. And as we saw with the lunatic that lived in the tombs in the Gadarenes, listen to this, quoting Mark chapter 5. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Right. So this guy's powerful, and that explains beating seven men, tearing all of their robes so that they were shredded off of their bodies, and bludgeoning them with something, probably a piece of furnishing, Maybe it was something they brought in to wave a magic wand. He's like, I'll take that. (laughs) You know, whatever. (laughs) All right. So this crazed man, you know, goes after them. Now, I'm surprised that they weren't killed because Satan comes to kill. It's one of his favorite things to do. um, But by the grace of God and the mercy of Jesus and the fact that God, our Savior wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved because he loves them. He, he knows they're going to learn a lesson and perhaps they will come to the knowledge of the truth the proper way to use the name after coming to know him personally. And I'm sure that is what the Lord wants and perhaps what happened to some of them uh, we'll see in heaven. So 
In short, really, the, the mocking rebuke is really teaching us some things here. You can have the right words. You can look like a religious, spiritual person or a Christian. Uh, you might sound like someone who knows him. You may tell others that you do know him. Uh, and you might have others fooled, but at the end of the day, when push comes to shove and you're confronted with your own evil or the evil in the world, there's no power. There's no power because you have to have met him, encountered him to obtain the Holy Spirit of power. Second Timothy has a great verse about people who are like this. He said, they have a form of godliness. In other words, they'll act religious and appear to be spiritual, but they are estranged from the power that could make them power but that could make them godly. They're estranged from the power that could make them godly or the real deal. So it's one thing to look the part and sound the part, but, but the proof is in the pudding. It's how you live your life. Do you, or do you overcome evil or does evil overcome you? That's the point. And if God's spirit is in you, it's impossible to be overcome by evil in these kinds of ways. If you're walking with the Lord and living as not a nominal Christian, a lazy Christian, a backslidden Christian, a Christian who's lost their first love. Those are all possibilities with the same end result of what happens here. Only you may be going to heaven, but you'll still have to get a humiliating beat down and shamefully exposed <laughs> that in fact you weren't really walking with the Lord all these years or you wouldn't have then committed adultery after 25 years of marriage or embezzled at work and then got that out into the community. So-called Christian. And whether or not that person is saved, I'm done trying to figure that out. There's no way to know for sure. That kind of behavior doesn't look like it belongs to somebody going to heaven, but we know it's quite possible. And then the reverse is true, that perhaps everybody thought they were, and they thought they were, but they're not. That's not the issue for me today. The issue for me today is either way, if there's not an abiding with the Lord, if there's not a daily, uh, he says, abide, remain in me, dwell with me and me in you, you in me, and then you will produce fruit. You'll have the power to live the Christian life and you won't be, just be a wannabe, a nominal, a name only. As I said, that's what that means. And so that's the lesson. You know, a lot of focus on the right words and the outward, uh, but the inner disciplines. The inner discipline is what makes you a Christian. It's gotta be going on in here where no one else can see. It's what you are when nobody's watching in the privacy of your own mind and your own heart. And then you alone and God know, is this a game? Or is there a real life battle going on in there? A battle that sometimes you're winning and a battle that sometimes it's two steps forward, three steps back, but you get up 
and you're in there, and, and he's in there, and you're talking to him, and he's talking to you. It's real, it's genuine, it's alive, it's fresh. It happened this morning. You didn't go four months without reading your Bible, and four months without Christian fellowship, and four months without prayer. Because in that case, then when the day of evil comes, and, and here's the deal. The day of evil does come. First Peter chapter 5, he says, the devil, your enemy, you have an enemy, the devil. He prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So when he pounces on a son of Siva, he prevails. If you've been living like a son of Siva and got all the right words and you're looking the part, but you're not really genuinely connected, then you're going down in a beat down, shameful, <laughs> where your nakedness and your sin is going to be exposed. But if you're a son of God, walking with Jesus every day, you know, of course, you're not winning every battle and you're not perfect. But you're confessing all of that, and it's an ongoing conversation, and the Spirit of the Lord is alive and well in you, and then that, that lion comes and pounces, you pounce back, and you slay him. You pull out the sword of the Word of God, and you strike to kill, and you do. What does he say? You'll trample on the lion. You'll trample on the scorpion. You will crush the head of the serpent. The Lord will do it through you. That's what he says. And so uh, that's the story. Uh, verses 17 and following, we can finish up. Uh, now, the revival that it, it sparks. When this incident became known, you know those brothers are talking, they, and uh, the, you know, the local paper took it, uh, thankfully, in this case. <laughs> when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, so that, that's really important, just saying to everybody. They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord was held in high honor. Um, I want to paraphrase it a little bit for you. Verse 18, many people became believers, got right with God, confessing their deeds of darkness. Verse 19, a large group of sorcerers got together and collected their magic scrolls and all of that, and they, and they made a bonfire and it all went up in smoke. Uh, when they figured out the value of all of those books uh, that went up in smoke, <laughs> they realized it came to 2.5 million US dollars. Today's money, that's what it was worth. So this is how the gospel took a strong grip on Ephesus and how it spread like wildfire. Okay, so the revival that results, no tickers, okay. Uh, did the demon regret speaking? I mean, he could have just gave him a beat down without a little sermon illustration that really, really speaks to the issue so that those who heard the story made conclusions based on the words of the demon. They came to a conclusion. This is not a name to be trifled with. 
This is not a name to have loosely on one's lips. That's the conclusion they reach. The, about the name of Jesus. It's like the name of Jesus. Well, it is in one of the ten suggestions, right? I mean, ten commandments. That's a joke. Again, unbelievable. This section today, I don't know what it is. You guys got it. Yeah, so, um, yeah. What's the second commandment? Anybody know? Don't misuse the name of God. Don't toss it around like it's some kind of cuss word. Or every time you, you wish you could have said an expletive like, ah, mm, just put in Jesus there. Would you do that to your, with your mom? Don't answer. Some of you. Don't answer. Yeah, it's neither wise or safe to mess around with the name. And what they were doing is saying, we know him. Well, Paul knows him, and we kind of know him, or whatever. But uh, they were misrepresenting that. Well, I think the demons um, regretted that. I think they were mad at each other in the unseen places. I can hear them like a scene out of Lord of the Rings movie spluttering. You know, you gave it away, my precious. You know, why didn't you do that? You know, um, and, and they did. He gave it away. He said, look, if, if you want to have any power over evil, you've got to personally know him because you're a joke right here. And interesting to me that they don't know him. That, that demons would say, why waste their time with the seven bungling brothers? Of, you know, why really? Even though I'm sure that they take interest in those matters. But, you know, just interesting to me that the greater threat you are, don't, don't let this discourage you, but the greater threat you are to the kingdom of darkness, the more they're acquainted with you. Okay, moving on. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, um, it's kind of like this. Somebody who, who isn't um, well-trained or is just unfamiliar with the proper use of a firearm, and they get a hold of a gun, and then they sustain a serious injury. Well, nobody in Ephesus wants to sustain those kinds of injuries, uh, because they don't know how to use the name of Jesus. And Paul and his team are more than happy to begin safety classes on the proper use of the name of the Lord. And, and don't you think for a second Paul didn't use this opportunity to say, let me tell you about the name, everybody. Let me tell you how not only you can use the name to unlock the blessings of heaven and, and, and be saved, but you can actually know him. The name above all names. The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And so uh, I'm sure Paul's preaching for a season took uh, an emphasis, made an emphasis on this great beautiful name and how to know him and how to use his name uh, properly. And so mass conversions here just love it, right? And so... Um, they come calling. They want to trade in their dealings with darkness. They see the real deal, and they know they've been in, engaged in the counterfeit, and so they're willing to exchange uh, their <laughs> terrible dark lives for living in the light. And so 
uh, a flood of conversions happen, especially among, as the word says, the mystics, the psychics, the fortune tellers, the astrologer types, uh, everybody in, involved in occultic practices because they're in community with uh, those who heard and experienced it firsthand, the sons of Siva, right? So it's that community and they get witnessed to and they come. Now, it's amazing and you know that it's real work of God in their hearts and lives because of a couple of things. First of all, how do you know that somebody's genuinely saved and has a saving knowledge of God and been touched in their hearts, uh, there's demonstrative change. There's moral transformation. And it begins with always confession. Look at verse 18. People came forward, openly, freely confessed their sins, their evil behavior, took responsibility. They humbled themselves. They admitted stuff to people. I can't believe this is what I used to do. Look at how evil and dark and terrible. And, and, and I, 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 I'm not going to do it anymore. Admitting it, getting it out, revealing it, taking responsibility, uh, verse 18. And that's where it starts, confession. That's where it starts. What the, the Bible says that once we believe with our heart, we're justified. And with the mouth, we confess and are saved. Because the work of God's spirit in our hearts, the overflow of our hearts, the lips speak. And so when God's light comes shining into a sinner's heart, the first thing you know, you start talking, you start confessing and owning and agreeing with God and then turning, which is called a repentance. You know, like Zacchaeus, he's so overjoyed. Nobody likes him. He's a tax collector. I mean, not even his mom. Seriously, those... <laughs> Those guys were horrible human beings. That's why they were at the lowest possible place. Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. That's them, right? So one day Jesus spoke, speaks his name, not with hate, but with love and says, you up in the tree, come on, I'm going to your house for dinner. Come on, let's do this. And he's like, what, me, you know? And so he goes and he, and he, and he wines and dines everybody, the Lord. And, and Zacchaeus is hosting and listening to Jesus' gracious words. He gets saved. And he stands up and confesses. Here and now, this greedy man, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And this swindler, if I've wronged you in the room, form a line. I will pay you back four times as much as I ripped you off. And Jesus goes, salvation has come to this house because he is a saved man, a son of God. You see, and how did, it, how did we know that? Well, we know it, two things, confession and then repentance. Here's the money. Here's a different way of life. And then when he goes back to work, he's a different man. I told you about when I became a Christian, and I, I tell this a lot because I love the story. Uh, my brother and I got saved in front of a bar in the city. And when we realized, you know, we're saved. Like, Dad, let's go tell Dad. So we drove down to Santa Cruz, bust down the door there, just like, you know, we walk into my mom and dad are there. And Dad, Mom. We had a vision. Ross heard the voice of God. And, and, and the Lord had told me, it, like, you're going to hell. You are going to hell. Do you, is that where you want to go? You're going to hell. And I'm like, nope. 
no, I don't want to go to hell. So he goes, why go to hell when you don't have to? And I'm like, I'm out of here. You know, and so that's how I got saved. So, but I'm telling my dad these things, and out of my mouth is coming, Dad, Dad, uh, we used to steal money from you. We were stealing money from you. And, and my brother's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't, I don't think you need to go that far. But the idea was, and I told him, Dad, your wallet was laying out there, and it was like, it took 50 bucks, and I'll pay you back. It was like, what? See? The Spirit of God, confession, revelation, turning from it, I'll pay you back. My dad was so gracious and so happy, and it was a moment that makes me cry all the time. Is she's like, take this wallet, take some more, <laughs> take some more. He's so happy that his boys uh, found the Lord. And so that's what confession is is and that's what's happening here and it doesn't start stop with that there's repentance which just means doing a u-turn right and so they brought their scrolls burned them publicly even though they were worth a lot then doesn't care well why don't you sell them oh yeah we're going to sell as christians now we're going to sell books uh, from the devil you know how, how to work the devil's magic and make a profit out of it well, you could give the money to the poor. No, you don't put the, no, no they, there's only one place for that kind of stuff. It's in the trash and light it on fire. And so that's what they did. And so that's how you know, if you want to know, there's moral transformation and the stuff that belonged to your old life is still in your ashtray, your, your drug paraphernalia. It's not still in your car. Because you repented, you confessed that. I'm a drug user. Oh my word, Jesus has set me free. I'll never do that again. It's not in the car. And somebody can go on your phone and look around and and you could hand your phone to anybody here and we could just go through it right here. Because there aren't the images that used to be on your phone because you confessed all that and you turned from that and you tossed that into the bonfire. Right? That's the way it should be. That's the way it says it is. And yeah, we could say, well, 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 well. But it paints you in a poor, as a poor candidate for salvation. If the things that accompanied your old sinful ways are still a part of your life. I told the last service this quick little story. Um, a guy gathered a few of us around his roommates. He had recently been saved. And so he took a whole bunch of cologne and he put it up by the trash. And he says, I want you guys, you brothers to see this. And so, and he had his varsity jacket with a letter on it and the cologne. He goes, the cologne's going right now. One of the guys are like, I'll take one. (laughs) The cologne's going, why? Every time I smell that, it brings back all the memories of the nightlife scene and before I knew the Lord and trying to smell good and, and be up to no good up there as a Christian now looking back, right? So I want that out of my life. I can't even stand that fragrance because it brings me back there, boom, right? And then what about the jacket? He's going, this is going, you know, and then another guy, I'll take it, you know? It's got this big letter on it. He goes, I worship football. I, it was my life. I lived for it. And I just can't get, I just think about it. And I just think that just, it's going to ruin my life. 
I can't walk with God with it. I, I mean, it's hard to explain to somebody who doesn't have that problem. And so, boom, in it, in it goes, right? But what are the things that need to go? Uh, I close out with this. Charles Spurgeon said to his congregation about that passage of taking things and putting it in the fire. Like <laughs> I have one more story I just thought of. Is my <laughs> my I, there was something called records, record albums. <laughs> <laughs> they were like these vinyl circles, and you put them in, and you had a whatever what they're called a record player, right? A phonograph, and and so somebody was listening to me heavy metal music and doing drugs and partying, and when they got saved, they brought a huge stack, this much, and just bashing everyone against. I remember all the pieces flying. You know, we didn't hear any shrieks going out. You know, but. <laughs> And that's the thing. But here's Charles Spurgeon take and what he told them concerning this practice of getting rid of everything. He said, instead of focusing your attention on material things associated with your former way of life that need to go, might I suggest, more importantly, you concentrate ridding yourself of your former practices. Is there any habit, any practice that you have got that defiles your soul. Now, if you love Christ and Christ loves you and you come to trust in him, you will make short work of habits that defile you. Have done with it, beloved. Have done with it forever. Let's pray together. Father God, give us the grace to be done with it. We are prone to wander and we are inclined to do the things that we know are wrong and displeasing to you. So we just need your help every day. And as Jesus, you told us, that you gave us the answer. You said, pick up your cross daily, deny yourself daily by the power of the Spirit, and you'll live. And to follow you. That's what we do every day, God, to avoid uh, son of Siva syndrome, that we not just talk the talk, but we walk the walk, God. So help us to do that. And now as we take communion, we're just confessing all the things you brought to mind, all the ways we were convicted and our consciences pinged and we're going to take all of that and lay it at the foot of the cross. These burdens, these things that make us anxious, these things we know we need to confess and turn from, an ongoing battle. We're going to lay all of that before you and be, give great thanks for your blood that atones for that, covers us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.